Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and how is everyone doing today? I'm doing well. It's a little bit later than normal. Usually I do this on Tuesday morning, and it's Tuesday afternoon. Uh, I had a customer come in, called last week, like in the middle of the week, then called back Friday and said, hey, I've got about 100 PS1 games, and I'd like to bring them in and have you take a look at them. I'm like, that'd be excellent. We'd love to buy those PS1 games. And... Uh, and so we, we organized a time Saturday morning. She actually came in before we opened so I could get working on them and get them all done. Had a price. And then uh, she basically was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll let my friend know. And then she took them back. And I was like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> I really didn't feel, I didn't want to do all that work and then not get them. Because sometimes that is a thing that happens. Uh, I can't say how often, but often enough is that people will have us price out all of their items, get a total and then take what we say and then put it on the Facebook marketplace for like more than that. Cause they know that we're not paying full price, but that they could get a little bit more on their own after we do all the work to price it. And that does happen. Unfortunately, it's really, it's frustrating. I won't lie, but it's part of the business. What are you going to do? You can't, you can't not do it for the people that aren't doing that to you, you know, and it's, it's just bad service if you don't. So we do it. And so she, uh, she ended up though calling back, yesterday and she's like hey i've got those ps1 games i'm gonna bring them back in and i've got about a hundred more and i was like what yes awesome <laughs> so uh so she brought in uh the old ps1 games plus the new ones she had unfortunately about 50 of the games were actually ps2 demo discs from the official playstation magazine and they're just not worth anything. Um, so I, I, it would have been awesome if that was 50 more PS1 games, but it wasn't. But she also had about 20, like 30 Dreamcast games. And that's awesome. So 30 Dreamcast and about 130 PS1 was what, together with what she brought the other day and what she had here. So she called yesterday and she's like, hey, I can only make it in Tuesday. Are you working Tuesday? And of course, I'm like, I don't work Tuesday, but I will come in the morning. I was there at eight o'clock this morning. She showed up. We got all done, and then I had to help process it and get it ready to go and work on it, and then I'm back here. <laughs> so it is, a, it is a few hours later than I would normally be, but, uh, but we are here, uh, and it is gonna be, it's going to be a short one. We've only really got two stories to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, Bethesda re-releasing Doom on the uh, Switch. Doom 1, 2, and 3 all came to the Switch, and the uh, online requirement that came along with it, which is just crazy. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Sony hitting the 100 million units shipped. And the PlayStation 4 is apparently the fastest home console to do so. Beat the PlayStation 2 by just a few months to get to 100 million. Will it get to 200 million? I mean, that's... Is it going to outlive the PS2? Hard to say. I don't think so. Uh, because I think the PlayStation 5 is going to get a lot of people to upgrade to and you know, we'll talk about that later, but we're going to, we're going to congratulate Sony, but we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the incorrect reporting about that. Um, and, and how not everything is units sold, uh, but it is important. And I will, I will never back down from that stance that it is very important. The number of units and install base you have. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. And then I have my game of the week. We're actually going with a modern, uh, game this week. Cause it's one I've been playing modern game this week, game of the week. We have our pickup pile of the week. It honestly would have been two games if not for all those PS1 games the lady brought in. <laughs> so, uh, so I got that. Uh, so I have a massive pickup pile now, and uh, and then we have a uh, a listener question, 
and then that's it. And that's going to be our thing, and we're going to roll. So so uh, I think we'll we'll start off with this uh, Bethesda Doom story, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get going here in just a second. So first up on the podcast today, we're talking about Doom. So in kind of a very surprising stealth release, Bethesda released Doom 1, 2, and 3 on the Nintendo Switch digitally on the store. So Doom 1 and 2 were only $5 each. Very fair price, in my opinion. And Doom 3 was $10, which I guess is also a fair price. I really can't complain about that. But what's funny was uh, I, I didn't buy them. I have Doom on, like, roughly a billion systems, and so I didn't buy it on the Switch. Not that I wouldn't buy it on the Switch, and the uh, the local area um, network play and stuff sounds really awesome, actually, so I might still get them. Uh, but something interesting came up, and so one thing I realized, and actually a friend of mine who had bought it, told me about this first and I was kind of seeing it pop up and so I retweeted out a little thing saying hey just so you know internet is required to play the game and I'm gonna be the first to say this while I'm irritated kind of by that since it's you had to download to play it anyway you had to have the internet to download the game there was no way to buy it physical it's not like you bought a physical cart and then you had to hook up online to do this but it says right here, you can kind of see in the picture, a Bethesda.net account is required to play this title. Please connect to the internet to continue. And so if you never connected to the internet, and if you never logged in to your Bethesda account, you could not play these games you bought. And I don't think uh, in the description there was any sort of online required or anything like that. And so I tweeted that out, and a lot of people felt like I was very like against this. And I'm actually not really. I don't have a really strong opinion towards this, except that I would say... It's it is frustrating, um, but when you bought something online, you needed the internet to play it, and so connecting online and then downloading or excuse me and then signing into a Bethesda account, I don't think that was that big of a deal. Now before everyone like destroys me as a collector and as like a person who wants to you know as a as a preservationist and whatnot, I do understand why this is frustrating, and I do agree that it is frustrating to an extent. It just doesn't affect me personally, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. But again, it might be a bigger deal to somebody who it affected more adversely. So I'm, you know, so again, don't. I'm not acting like I don't care. I'm just saying it's not as big of a deal to me. So just to me, my opinion. Uh, and so basically, um, if you had the internet to download it, say you downloaded it, and then you were getting on an airplane, so you downloaded the game, you got on the airplane. You put it into airplane mode, you go to play it, and it won't let you play because you never signed into your Bethesda account. Uh, that, that's, that would be frustrating to me. That's going to be probably a very small percentage of people playing this. I think most people that could download it were going to download it and then play it right away when it was available when they still had internet access, I would think. But that might not always be the case. And so it is kind of frustrating because, you know, why would you need a Bethesda.net account? And it just seems like one of those things where... You know, and this brought up an interesting conversation amongst a lot of people on Twitter, which was, you know, what is the importance and what is the worth of your data? And getting you part, uh, getting you into the Bethesda, um, the cycle, and getting you into their um, their world of products and information is worth money to them. And so, you know, at first you're like, well, that's really frustrating, and they should have said something, right, in the comments. However, uh, Bethesda, as you can see by the headline of this article says that it was a mistake for the online requirement to be there. Uh, so uh, over the weekend, Bethesda promised users that the situation was a mistake and that the company is working on patching it out, which, by the way, you'll have to connect to the Internet to patch it out. <laughs> um, 
the Bethesda net login requirement was included for the Slayers Club, a reward members, uh, excuse me, to reward members for playing the classic Doom games. Bethesda tweeted, "The login should be optional, and we are working on changing the requirement to optional now." There's no public timeline for the fix rolling out, but Bethesda adds that it will update everyone and fix is ready. So. I guess I honestly, I'm sorry, I don't believe that. I'm just going to be honest about it. I don't believe for a second that that was an accident. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of intrigued as to why they didn't, I guess maybe it was an accident or why wouldn't you just come out and say, hey, you know, we had this in there. We didn't think it was a big deal. Obviously our customers think it's a big deal. We'll take it out and then you could patch it out. But to say it was, to say it was an accident seems weird because do they not have any internal QA at all? Did not everyone who had a Switch play this? I mean, there's other weird issues too. Like, uh, apparently it was uh, it was ported or something to Unity or or something like that. I I forget. I apologize for not knowing the exact details. And so there's a trial use only or trial only tag on, on in in some people's versions of the game. Very weird stuff like that. But don't they have people that, like everyone who played this or tested this had to know you had to be hooked up online and connect to. The Bethesda.net account. I don't I don't understand how they think that that was like, I don't know how that mistake would get through, I guess. So either your argument is you lied and you did do it on purpose and now you're taking it back or your internal QA is essentially inept. I mean, that that's your two options, right? And so I understand that that probably sounds a little harsh to the poor testers, but I'm just saying this is something that you should catch if it was an accident. Like that's a pretty big deal. Now, it's not really a big deal that it's required it. But it's a pretty big deal that you say it was an accident and it never should have gotten through. Um, um, and so, again, I don't actually think it was that big of a deal. Now, again, if I bought the cartridge physical at a store, I pop it in, whole game's you know, on the cartridge, and I go to play it and it won't let me play till it's online, and the box doesn't say online required, that would be an issue. Because I might not have internet, or I might have bought it when I was on a trip and I'm taking my Switch to go. And so that could be a problem. But it wasn't. It was something you had to download anyway. So the argument that not everyone has internet access to be able to connect to a Bethesda.net login is kind of a flimsy argument because you had to have the internet to download it. Um, now, the other part of it, though, is that people may not want to give their information out. They may not have a Bethesda.net account, and they may not want one, especially Switch owners. It's it's reasonable to think that Switch owners, prob you know, a lot of Switch owners would not have PCs or other systems where they would have logged into Bethesda's website. And so this is kind of Bethesda's way of saying, we're going to get the Switch people all part of our ecosystem, bring them in. That valuable data we were talking about earlier. And so it's just, like, I, I totally understand why people are upset about it. And those are the two arguments, right? They either you won't have internet, which I think is kind of flimsy, but then there is, you know, and then just today there's the, uh, or yesterday, last night, or whatever, there's the Capital One hack where, like, millions of users' data was, like, released or someone had it you know and and so so yes our data is needs to be better protected and a lot of people don't want to give it up and i and i don't think if you make a bethesda.net account you're going to most likely run into problems but some people don't want to do it and so again i don't think you should be forced to and i'm glad that they're patching it out and hopefully and i guess that would be something then that once you buy it after it's patched out you'll download the entire patched version so anyone who downloads it after they patch it should be fine um but kind of strange. Now, there was also something not connected to the Switch, but also kind of strange with these games on the Xbox One. So my understanding, and I, I, I could be wrong on this. I looked it up briefly, but my understanding is 
that Doom and Doom 2 used to be available on Xbox 360 as downloadable games. When they were re-releasing them for the Xbox One, something happened where the, the games, because they were backwards compatible, so if you had the 360 version, you could play them on the Xbox One. Well, something happened when they when they basically delisted that and they relisted this new version. It didn't allow you anymore to play the games you had already bought when it was already a backwards compatible title. And I don't know if it also included when you buy the Doom 3 BFG disc. That also gives you access to Doom 1, 2, and 3. And so I don't know if that included that or if you put the disc in if it would still work or not. I think if you put the disc in, it downloaded the new versions that would then work. But if you had downloaded the old versions, they weren't working again. And so at first people thought that it was one of those old switcheroos like Nintendo did with Donkey Kong Country Jungle Freeze, where it was a $30 game on the Wii U. They delisted it because they were about to start selling it for $60. And they thought, well, maybe, maybe they're taking us for a ride and they're trying to get us to rebuy these games again. Bethesda, however, has also come out, though, and said that that was an accident. And apparently now you can re-download those versions and, like, it's tagged as you've purchased them or whatever. So it should be fine. But a little bit of a hiccup for Bethesda, uh, over the weekend, um, the uh, and again though they say it was an accident. I believe the Xbox 360 and Xbox One that seems to be a legit accident to me. Like that seems more realistic that you were delisting, you were adding a new product, and you didn't think it would affect that other product, or maybe it was planned that it shouldn't have affected it, and it did negatively. Whatever, so that's fine. Um, I still have a little bit of an issue with this Bethesda Switch um, Switch ordeal where. They they never like it was never supposed to be required to play. I mean, look at look at the message specifically. A Bethesda.net account is required to play this title. It doesn't say, would you like to sign into your Bethesda account? And if you say no, it doesn't say, oh, error or something like that. It straight up says this is the error message. Like read it right here. A Bethesda.net account is required to play this title. Please connect to the internet to continue. So how is that an accident that it was required? I'm just, I'm just not buying it, but just be honest about it. Just come out and say, you know what? We didn't think it'd be a big deal. Obviously, it is. We apologize. We listen. We hear you loud and clear. We're moving on. And uh, and apparently, they, they couldn't come out and do that. They had to lie and say it was a mistake. All right. So next up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about the PlayStation 4 and how successful it is. <laughs> now, this isn't going to be some stupid... Uh, this isn't some stupid fanboy like rah rah session, but it is an accomplishment. And hats off to Sony. Here comes the obligatory I am a Sony fan. It is my preferred console, the PlayStation 4 over the Xbox One. Although I'm a PC gamer, probably more so than anything, but I like my PlayStation 4 a lot. So there's your disclaimer. I'm not a shill. I'm not paid by Sony to report this. I just find it interesting. Um, the PlayStation 4 has now shipped 100 million units and along with that it is the fastest console to do so so here's the article the sony playstation 4 console even this late in its lifespan is continuing to pull in the punters with recent numbers showing that the black box has shipped 100 million units to date as of june 30th 2019 3.2 million more consoles were shipped within the first quarter of this fiscal year according to the sony's recent financial reports which is not too shabby for a six-year-old console, especially when a new generation is clearly poking its head over the horizon. I'm just going to stop for a second because a lot of these writers like, don't understand the cycles. And I really wish that a lot of writers would, would go back. And I'm not saying he didn't do his homework, but like, there, there are cycles to console life. you know. And 
yes, while we have new systems coming out, it's still a year and a half away or a year and four months away, right? So to argue that right now it's expected to slow down because there's a console a year and a half away, you don't really understand how how this works. Now, if Sony really wanted to crush it, which, by the way, during the holiday they did, and if you want to know why, it was because of how appropriately priced the PlayStation 4 was. Black Friday, $199 with Spider-Man, the game that just came out that year and arguably one of the best games of the year for free. So I want to show this little chart here. Um, so Daniel Ahmad did this, uh, brought this out, and this is basically the number of console shipments in the first 72 months from launch. So that's five years. Um, so here we go. Or is that six years? <laughs> okay, you know, hey, just leave me alone. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, excuse me. Anyway, 72 months. Forget what I said. 72 months. So the blue line here is the PS4. And then we have the Switch, which is, uh, we only have data. Obviously, it hasn't been out as long. But if you look at its first few months, the Switch had higher than PS4 here, went below, went above here. So the the Switch and the PS4 are actually right alongside each other. It's really impressive. And who knows, in a couple years, we might be saying how the Switch is the fastest console to get to 100 million consoles shipped. Uh, I think you could classify the Switch as a console. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to... See, this is where it gets a little a muddy, too, because if you start calling the Switch Lite, if that starts being counted as a console, is it? Because it doesn't hook up to your TV. It's a portable. So will they only count Switch consoles, not Switch Lights? Because I think the Switch Lite would easily, the two together, would easily beat the PS4, I think, even in lifetime sales with the number of versions they do and the discounted price. But we'll have to see how the tracking goes and obviously you can manipulate numbers any way you want. If, if you want to make the PS4 look strong, you don't count the switch light over the next couple of years. And if you want the PS4 to look weak and the switch to look strong, you add them together and you show how much better the switch is. It's however, however you want to manipulate the data to make your point. Um, but we show here, this is actually some really interesting stuff. Now there's this, this tracks PS3, 360 and Wii PS2, PS4 switch and PS1. Now there's an obvious absence from this list and that would be the Xbox one. That's because Microsoft doesn't report the sales anymore. Um, I think once it wasn't, once the PlayStation 4 was taking off and boasting about its success, and Microsoft didn't have that same level of success, they stopped promoting those numbers. Often, like how you don't hear Blizzard talk World of Warcraft subscribers because they're low and they're very low compared to other games in the market. In fact, I think. Jordan Jordan was talking about a Reddit thread he saw last night on the on the Dropcast, where they're they're estimating somewhere between one to two million active players on WoW, and that seems really low to me, and I, I almost couldn't believe it. If that's accurate, that's wild because that is that is low. But anyway, I digress. Uh, let's get to it here. So if you look, the PS4 is actually kind of funny. So the PS2, which it recently just uh, passed up on its way to seventy two months. Look at this kind of neat pattern here, like a very zigzagging pattern. PS2 is higher than PS4 here, lower here, higher here, lower here. And it just, so anyway, there's, there's reasons for that. And one of the reasons that the PlayStation, I think, and obviously they, they are successful. They beat their most successful home console to number of units shipped within the 72 months, but there were a lot more price. There was a more, a more aggressive price drop, I would say on the PS2. And the PS4 really hasn't had any price drops. They've done their Black Friday specials, which seems to be their way of 
doing a price drop, and last year's was super aggressive. Um, now, I'm going to assume that this also includes PlayStation 4 Pro sales. Uh, if it doesn't, that'd be even more impressive because we know there's a solid number of sales there, but I'm pretty sure it does. And so it's just kind of a neat graph. And then you look at something like the Wii, which is the red bar. Look at the, how the Wii took off so strong here. It, the Wii was on track to be the greatest, and then once it hit the 60-month mark, it just leveled off. <laughs> It's so weird, but the Wii, um, when it first came out, you know, it was, it was successful. I remember even the first month the Wii was out, it was kind of quiet. And then that first holiday, the Wii exploded and that years, I'm talking one or two holidays after the Wii launched, you would have moms following the UPS guy into the, into our GameStop stores saying, are there Wii's in there? Are there, are there, the Wii's? Are there Wii's in that, Wii's in that truck? Were there any Wii's in that? You got any Wii's? Yes. Yes, we do. Although we could tell what Wii's were from the outside of the box because they shipped direct from Nintendo in like packs of six, I think it was. And so you could see the UPS cartons be like, nope, no switches there. <laughs> Just because it's Nintendo's packaging uh, shipping boxes are pretty noticeable. And so the Switch, look at that. The, the Wii was killing it, man. The Wii was just dominating this red line. And then it just leveled off right before it got there. So technically even the PS2 passed it. And the PS4 uh, also passed it. And then you have here the PS1 uh, didn't even, you know, didn't come close. And then it was still above the PS3. But this is actually really interesting stuff. The PS3, look how 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 rough that was compared to PS2 and PS4. And we all know that the PS3 struggled um, in comparison. And then the green is the 360. Now, if you look, if you asked anyone, you they would tell you that the PS3, you know, had a, had a very rough start against the 360. And I would agree in America, in the U.S., and that's a very important distinction. The 360 did very well in the U.S. and very poorly in Japan. And so if you look at these global numbers, that's why PS3 is always above 360. It's including the global numbers. If it was just the U.S., I would assume it'd be flipped or even having the orange bar be a lot, lot lower uh, in sales compared to the 360. But I also think this is indicative of a very competitive market. And so here in the PS3 and 360 days, you had very competitive systems that had their pluses and minuses, very similar experiences, very uh, like it was it was a more competitive environment. I think it's it's fair to say this year that the PlayStation 4 kind of ran away with this generation. And so the Xbox One, you know, part of the reason the PS4 is so successful is because part of Xbox One's lack of success there's just a bigger a bigger discrepancy as opposed to you know the numbers would be very similar if you know like the ps4 would be lower and xbox would be higher they kind of share those customers i mean there's only so many units that can be bought and sold really so only so many customers right and so this is just an interesting graph and and so i do i do quite enjoy the number side of it uh and i do and here's actually the uh Here's actually the fiscal financial results for the first quarter that ended. And they talk about how much hardware sold. So in the fiscal year of 2017, they sold 19 million PS4 units. Fiscal year 2018, they sold 17.8. And then so far, fiscal year 19, they've already sold 3.2. So they're pretty much on track for fiscal year 18. But again, it all depends. Because if you look, look at this quarter three, right? So this includes the holiday season. <laughs> 8.1 million units sold compared to 3.9 in the in the quarter before. <laughs> so they almost they they basically doubled the amount of units sold, and that's what the magic of that price point will do. 199 in a free game. Oh man, that that if they did that if if today the PS4 got dropped down to 199 new and they threw in a free game, even if it was something like Little Big Planet 3, or you know, 
I don't know, Horizon Zero Dawn or God of War or Spider-Man again, those things would fly at 200. And I know this is anecdotal. I can only speak from my experience at my store. But we have about 15 Xbox Ones right now and two PS4s. And it's just PS4s sell instantly. People want them. People are constantly asking about them. Xbox Ones, people are selling them. Like every single day almost we're getting an Xbox One in the store. It's it's wild. And, uh, and, and so it just kind of shows where the market's at. Again, anecdotal based on my experience, but it is what it is. Now, one thing I want to touch on before I move on also is this it's it's a minor distinction but i like to point it out and not saying that anyone's particularly wrong but a lot of articles are leading with this today sony has sold 100 million ps4s and then you're going to see this playstation 4 has shipped 100 million units shipped 100 million ps4s sold 100 million ps4s so like i said neither is necessarily incorrect but shipped is more accurate, in my opinion. So when they talk about how many units have sold, that's arguably that's supposed to mean how many were sold to customers. Technically, yes, Sony has sold these systems to retailers, but those retailers haven't sold every system necessarily to customers. So while this many units are, are out there, that doesn't necessarily mean that many are in customers' hands. Again, not necessarily wrong. It's it's just something that's, if you read two different things, that's kind of the issue. So if you think about it, say every GameStop store right now, if I'm being generous, I'll, I'll say every GameStop store right now has 10 PS4s in stock. So 5,000 to 6,000 stores times a 10. There's 50 to 60,000 PlayStations that have shipped that haven't actually been sold yet. Again, they've been sold to GameStop but not sold to consumers. So it's kind of, you know, if you see the two things and you're not sure what's true, that's really how you want to say it. So if you do want to say that Sony has sold 100 million PS4s, really shipped is more accurate unless you say has sold to retailers because you want to get it out there that it's not like 100 million PS4s exist in the world, in the wild, in people's homes today. It's it's not quite accurate. So just to throw it out there. Just a small distinction I like to, to bring up. And then lastly, what I want to talk about, and I mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast, but lastly, what I want to cover too, just, I like to, I like to educate. I like to inform and educate. I like to train. It's always going to be in my blood. And so one thing I like to talk about as well, when it comes to the units sold and shipped, is it saying that say Sony had sold hundred million and Microsoft had sold realistically, I think they're priced somewhere around 40 million right now. If they've sold 40 million units, you look at that and you go, wow, Sony crushed it, man. Sony, Sony blew them out of the water. They sold more than twice as many units. The problem with that is that to, to be a part of Microsoft's ecosystem with the Xbox, you don't necessarily need an Xbox system. And that's something that you really have to pay attention to. You can access a lot of things and pay Microsoft a lot of different ways without having an Xbox. Um, you can be part of their PC ecosystem. You know, you can be part of their, you could have an Xbox Live Game Pass subscription uh, that you, um, th you know, that you use on PC instead of using on your console. And so console sales don't necessarily dictate which console is the best or which one is a winner necessarily. But it is important. And I, I won't take away from the importance of having what we call an installed user base. An installed user base means how many people are able, how many people have your device. Well, we know that 
roughly a hundred million to you know give or take a hundred thousand at different retailers. So close to a hundred million units are in people's homes. And so the difference though is that Sony Sony can only make money off of the people that have PlayStations in their homes. It's more important for Sony to sell consoles than it is for Microsoft right now. Microsoft can make money other ways off their consumers through their games and such. So just something to consider, just something to think about. When you think about the, the quote-unquote console wars, which I absolutely hate, the the, the crazy fanboyism, and, and it can be fun. Like, it can be fun, like, having a preferred console is never a problem. But, like, the whole feuding argument, uh, fighting thing, it just uh, just kind of just kind of kind of gets me uh gets me all riled up. Um so now that's not saying that Microsoft then has quote unquote defeated Sony either. It's just that both companies can work in different ways. Both can be successful in different ways. And so while system sold isn't the end all be all to who is the ultimate console winner, it it is important and I don't want to take away from that, but there are there are other avenues and Microsoft has put themselves in a position where you don't necessarily need an Xbox to still be a part of their system as to where Sony hasn't. And maybe they will be part of the next generation of PlayStations and maybe they'll start doing PlayStation. And they've already started doing this a little bit. PlayStation now streaming service on certain TVs. You can play games, sync controllers to their TVs, their other electronic devices. Maybe Sony will come out with a, with like a a PlayStation now service uh, or not even PlayStation now, but just like a PlayStation service for your PC, which lets you play PS4 exclusives on your PC only through like, Sony marketplace or something it's possible we don't know but Microsoft is poised for the future they've been thinking about the future more so than Sony but it cost them in the last two generations and so we'll have to see and Microsoft is refocusing on the Xbox brand again and as it was revealed at E3 the new Xbox will still have a disk drive and I don't think they're going to do any sort of wacky DRM because it didn't it's got such a negative connotation around it still that, uh, you know, it, it, it hurt them so much with the Xbox One. I don't think we'll see that. And Phil Spencer is uh, is is not a dum-dum. <laughs> so Phil Spencer knows what he's doing. He actually, I think, cares. And I think if you're a huge Xbox fan and you hate Sony, you're at least in good hands with Phil Spencer. He seems like someone who actually cares about games and getting good games and being a gaming console as opposed to just being another media device. Um, and so, but anyway, I don't want to take anything away from it. It's still an amazing milestone. It's very cool. Congratulations to Sony on all their success with the PlayStation 4. In my opinion, it has been an absolute treat having one, uh, this generation. It's been my preferred console. I've had lots of great experiences on it. A lot of great experiences I could only get on my PlayStation console. Uh, that's where I play on my multiplats too, but it was, it was, it's just a good system and I'm very happy with it. I'm happy with, I don't really have many complaints about it at all. I think maybe just how long it takes to everything like downloads slow, but that's always been kind of Sony's thing. So it's whatever. Um, but anyway, congratulations to Sony, 100 million units shipped to retailers worldwide. All right. So that is it for news stories today. We have our, um, hold on. We have our game of the week. So um, our game of the week we're going to talk about this week again. I didn't want to do a retro game. Well, it's not that I didn't want to do one. But I, I do like to talk about games that I might have more experience with. I don't I don't want to just talk about a game that maybe I haven't played or just pick one because I think it's cool or the box is cool. 
I sometimes want to give you a good in-depth like recap on a game I'm currently playing. So if you don't listen to the Dropcast, if you do listen to the Dropcast, I'm sorry that you're going to get a little bit of the same info. But if you don't listen to the Dropcast, my game of the week this week is for the Nintendo Switch. I have been playing the Fire Emblem Three Houses. So it's the new Fire Emblem game. It just came out Friday for the Nintendo Switch. Fire Emblem is a turn-based tactical RPG. It's been around since the, uh, well, since the Super Famicom era, I believe. We never got them until the Game Boy Advance. We got the, was our first one. Uh, we got a few on the Game Boy Advance and then subpar one on the DS. And then the 3DS, when Fire Emblem Awakening came out, it really, like no pun intended, it woke up that series and it was really good. All the Fire Emblem games since have been pretty positive. I'm not much of a handheld gamer, though. And uh, so I don't like games like that that you have to spend 50 to 100 hours playing. I don't want to play that on a handheld. So I want to play it on my Switch. So once I heard the new one was coming to Switch, I said, I will buy it and I will play it. And I think I will enjoy it. And uh, and I think I will. Um, and I have been. I played about 10 hours. Um, if you don't know what I mean by turn-based tactical, think something like Final Fantasy Tactics, Ogre Battle, you know, I guess even Advance Wars. Where you're on a battlefield, you move units around on the battlefield, and then you can attack within a certain range. Um, it's very fun. They did add a bunch of this uh, extracurricular nonsense, we'll call it. So if you've played the Persona games, like Persona 3, 4, and 5, you know there's a lot of combat, but then there's also this relationship building. And in this game, you're actually the professor of a, like a combat school. And you have this, you pick one of the houses, the, the, hence the three houses. You pick one of the houses that you you run, and, and you train the students. And so you have to you have to take them out to lunch sometimes to build up their education or to build up their morale. And then sometimes you have to find items and then return them to build your friendship. And then they'll have you do a quest for them. And then you're better friends. And it's just, I, I personally just don't care that much about that stuff. But it is part of the game. And so I'm, I'm, I'm digging into it for now. And it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I don't care. It's fine. Um, but uh, it is fun. Uh, the combat's great. I'm playing on what we call classic mode. Now, this is a little bit of a twist, and I think this actually helps the game be really good. Um, the twist is in classic mode, if a character dies in battle, they're gone forever. So there's a lot of characters to recruit in the game, but if you lose one, they're gone. That's a big deal. That that puts weight behind all of your decisions, right? Because, like, if I, if I say maybe I'm courting someone, right? And, uh, and I'm getting ready to, to pick my waifu and to marry her in game, and all of a sudden she dies in battle, like, what? That that would that would tough that'd be tough you know and and the game tries not to be too brutal they do give you a rewind function you get like three per battle if you screw up you can rewind a couple turns rethink your move and not lose the character so um, there are options there uh, but you can you can play on easy mode which doesn't have that I'm just playing on the 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 not easy mode because I think it's fun um, I, I I think it it means more to me. Although I will tell you, I'll just keep playing it and restarting if I lose anybody, <laughs> because I'm not losing anybody. It's just it's not gonna happen. Maybe I'll lose somebody later on, or maybe you know, and then and then I'll I'll let it be part of the story or something. But uh yeah, so it's but it is a tactical turn-based RPG, very fun. Extracurricular nonsense aside, it is still fun. It's very Japanese, you know, very full of anime and video game tropes. The pink-haired lazy girl who doesn't want to work, and the green-haired weird kid who doesn't want to come out of his room, and the, the you know, like, all the tropes are there. That's all I'm going to say. All the anime tropes are there, and uh, it's good. It is good. Uh, pick it up. It's definitely fun if you have a Switch and you like Japanese RPGs. Turn-based, slower, lots of stuff to do. Um, pick it up. I think you'll like it. 
And, all right, uh, let's see here. So now, see now, I changed something up a little bit. Let me let me do something here real quick. Let, let's 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 mess up with stuff. <laughs> Nothing smarter than messing up stuff, audio equipment wise. Right in the middle of live recording, a podcast. I'm changing my speakers to front out, so now I can actually hear the music because it was going through my headphones. So I didn't know that the game of the week music ended. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately. <clears throat> so now that I know that, and I should be able to hear this. It's time for our pickup pile of the week. All right. Um, and actually, I think I can loop this, can I? Mm, all right. Nice. So we'll loop that music. Oh, that turned out a little bit. <laughs> It's really tough to like gauge the music when I can hear it out of the speaker because it's like too annoying to me to talk, but it's not necessarily that loud coming through here. Anyway, all right, let's hit the ground run, and this is a big one. So we're gonna we're gonna lightning round this. So first up, and this is gonna sound stupid. I don't know why I didn't have this before. The original NFL 2K for Dreamcast. How did I not have this? This was, this was a launch title for me for the Dreamcast. This game is fantastic. It's still one of the best football games I've ever played. Absolutely love it. Don't know how I didn't have it. Sticking with the Dreamcast, I got Evolution 2. This is another turn-based RPG. Um, the first Evolution was the first RPG on the Dreamcast. Kind of bland, but okay. The second one was much better. Evolution 2 in the Dreamcast. Then I picked up this stupid game. Chef's South Park Chef's Love Shack. So this is a trivia game. And you would think it's a South Park trivia game, but it's not. It's uh, it's just a general trivia game, but themed in, in the South Park with the characters and all the voices and everything around. So it, it, it's stupid, but I picked it up on the Dreamcast because I do love the game. And I love trivia too. I'm kind of smart, so I like trivia. Picked up a copy of Time Stalkers. This is another RPG, early RPG for the Dreamcast. Not the Dreamcast had very many RPGs, but it is a very early RPG for the Dreamcast. And it's kind of fun. You're like a vampire. Um, didn't play it a lot. I'll have to play more of this, but it was one I actually bought back in the day. Again, I remember being really disappointed by it back then, but it was because like I was used to PS1 level RPGs, and so I'm like, what is this garbage that the Dreamcast is pumping out? And then of course, Grandia 2 and Skies of Arcadia come out, and they're like, okay, finally, thank you, some good RPGs on the Dreamcast. But Time Stalkers wasn't bad. It just wasn't as good as what I was playing on PS1 at the time. So I picked up that. And then Omicron, the Nomad Soul. This is a Quantic Dream game. This is This might be their first game, actually. But this was ported to the Dreamcast. It was a PC game first. Uh, it also stars uh, David Bowie. Fun little fact. David Bowie is uh, in that game. Uh, I think I'm going to turn this down a little bit more. <laughs> All right. Uh, then for PS4, I picked up a copy of a game called Mutant Year Zero, Road to Eden. Now, I haven't played this on PS4, but I played it on Xbox One. It was free on Xbox Game Pass. And it is a tactical almost like Fire Emblem. It's a tactical turn-based RPG. And it's it's really fun. You play like these mutants in a post-apocalyptic world and you're scavenging for things. It's really fun. It plays like XCOM, I guess, is is more the closest game I can say to it. There's like a cover mechanic and you can stealth and sneak and stun games. Very fun. Not that hard. Kind of short, but really fun. And so this came out physical for PS4. So I picked it up since I didn't pay for it the first time. So it was free with Game Pass. Um, and then here's where the meat and potatoes are, everybody. So this is the PS1 stuff that I got. So again, um, I picked up a game called uh, Irritating Stick for PS1. It's kind of a fun little puzzle-ish type game. I picked up a copy of Rampage World Tour. 
that was the first Rampage game for PS1. It's actually, it is pretty fun, and I believe this is the one that has Green Bay, Wisconsin in it. <laughs> you can actually, that's one of the cities you go to. Uh, I picked up Spawn the Eternal on PS1. Now, I'm going to be honest, this game's not great. It's not very good at all, in fact. However, it's got a Chromium cover, like a lot of the 90s comics did, and it's badass, and Spawn is badass. Eh, I bought it. <laughs> it doesn't take much to get me to buy something, as you can clearly tell. Um, I somehow didn't have this game. PS1 Classic Ape Escape. Gotta have Ape Escape. Great game. Uh, another great PS1 game, Fighting Force. Fighting Force uh, was the best way to say it was it was trying to bring back that 90s era 16-bit or arcade beat-em-ups like Final Fight, um, Captain Commando, X-Men, Simpsons, that sort of beat-em-up, but in full 3D. And, uh, and and it was done by Idos and Core, who did like the Tomb Raider games. It was, it was fun. I liked it. Fighting Force, very good game. Tempest X 3 for the PS1. This is just a Tempest game. Uh, great game. Uh, then we had a, a pair of racing games. Actually, a few racing games, but a pair of the Ridge Racer ones. One we had uh, Ridge Racer Revolution, and then we had Rage Racer. So I am a big fan of the Namco Ridge Racer series. It was a staple on the PS1 for me. It was... Like, it was just synonymous with this, like, awesome, what, what do I want to say? It was synonymous with, like, this awesome certain sort of arcade-style racing, but also timed, and there wasn't really traffic. I think it was, like, one-on-one. -on -one. Oftentimes, you would race, uh, and then there were time trials. I don't know how to describe it. I know it's not a good game now. Like, if I play Rage Racer now, I'm going to be like, oh, this is really painful. But there was something about the t that I liked at the time. And these are, you know, all these games I'm picking up are, like, 10 or 15 bucks. So it's not like these are super ultra-mega rares. They're just pretty good. Um... Picked up Alundra 2. As you know, I'm on my RPG kick. Not not even close to as good as the first Alundra, which is an amazing game. Hand-drawn pixels. This one is 3D and not nearly as good, but it is an RPG, and that's just where I'm at in my head right now. Jumping Flash 2. I have the first Jumping Flash already. Jumping Flash 2. You are like a robotic rabbit, and you, uh, you jump around levels. It was one of the first games I played in 3D on the PS1 was the first Jumping Flash. And I remember climbing really high and then jumping off and looking down when I jumped and actually getting like that kind of like the willies, you know? And it was like, holy crap, it's 3D, man. Oh, it's the future. Holy crap, it's 3D. Um, uh, then I picked up, I know it's so stupid, I know. Then I picked up a copy of Rallycross. Uh, Rallycross is, why did this go down? Only there we go. Man, this music's really hard to keep uh, keep going here. I don't know. You'll have to tell me, I guess, if you're listening to this and you think it's annoying that the music's there, let me know. Uh, rally Cross is a racing game for the PS1, uh, like a rally racing. It's fun. I picked up Tokyo Highway Battle, another racing game. Uh, not great, but I don't know. I like the Tokyo Extreme Racers, and this is not affiliated with them, but it's the same kind of idea. And then Demolition Racer for the PS1, kind of the spiritual successor to Destruction Derby 2. Um, not, uh, not as good, but it's still fun. Still fun. So, that is my pickup pile of the week. <laughs> it's just, it's so much, it's so much. And you know, a lot of these were cheap, but you know, it, it, I mean, it's still a lot. I know it's a lot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 games I'm putting in the collection this week. That's crazy. I know it's crazy, but I'm, a, I'm just on a big PS1 kick and I'm on a big RPG kick right now. So eh, what are you going to do? Okay, so we have our listener question, and then we're going to be done for the day. Listener question, uh, what do you think the next major franchise to get a complete overhaul 
of the type of game it is and why? Well, I think there's some obvious ones. Uh, ones I would say uh, the Assassin's Creed games are due for a big overhaul, but they're already kind of going there, so it's kind of unfair. Um, they're going from historically accurate replicas to just making fun games. Like their uh, their Odyssey is getting wild with like the Atlantis expansion, and they're getting totally out of realistic history and going into like you know getting a little more nuts with it. And it seems to be actually really working for them. And the game's gotten just great, great accolades. So, uh, so Assassin's Creed. Um, I also uh, the sports games. We're starting to see them eke into more single player stuff like storylines and RPGs. Madden's a great example. There was like a story mode last year that continues again this year. So I think we're going to see that not drastic changes, but subtle changes. Um, and then I guess if I, if I think about ones that probably won't change, but could maybe something like grand theft auto, grand theft auto six could maybe even be only online. And maybe what if they did a fundamental shift where, you know, there were online quests to do and everything you, every person you saw was like, there'd be real people along and then real cops chasing them. So you'd have people living alongside, you know, the criminals. Maybe you could just, you know, who knows, maybe you could set up your own shop. You could, you could run a guns and ammo shop or you could run not guns and ammo or whatever, whatever they call the gun stores in that game. Um, and you, or you could run a car dealership, right? And maybe you could actually steal cars or maybe you could repair cars and you could, you know, maybe you could have a custom paint shop like Forza and you could, I don't know the, the possibilities could be endless. It could be awesome. And the reason I think that is because there people found while data mining GTA five, they found details for some canceled single player DLC. And apparently they were going to work on a zombie DLC, which is a little lazy since they did zombie DLC for red dead redemption but they were going to do some zombie DLC and then stopped because uh, they stopped because the online was making so much money. And so, yeah, if the online's making money, then, you know, why pour all this money into single player content that won't make you as much money as the online content does? Um, and so we'll have to see. I, I think actually that sounds really cool. I'd be totally down for that if they just made an all online GTA next. And it was, you know, but it, ha it can't just be GTA as it is now online. It's just kind of a mess. And it, it feels disjointed, right? Because you have to, like, join missions and go to different places and load screens and all that stuff. It needs to be seamless. If they could somehow make this GTA online seamless and maybe people phase in and out like an MMO, like World of Warcraft. Oh, it could be incredible. It could be absolutely incredible. So that is the podcast for today, everyone. Thank you. I know it's a little bit shorter than usual. I really appreciate everybody for always listening and watching. You can follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. Subscribe on YouTube if you like to. It's YouTube.com slash DropRate. Or follow us. And, uh, and well, you can subscribe on Twitch as well if you have a free Prime account that you're not using. Uh, throw us a Twitch Prime sub. Uh, it's Twitch.tv slash TheDropRate. And, of course, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud or iTunes or if you want to know where it is on iTunes or SoundCloud, search for Game Talk Radio in the podcast app on your iPhone. And uh, that'll also get you to just my podcast here. The drop rate is a collaborative effort between me, Jordan and Jeremy, where we do different YouTube videos. I do some let's plays, mostly do the podcast stuff. Jordan does a lot of let's plays and Jeremy does a lot of live streaming. So with that being said, thank you everybody again, as always for listening and watching. We'll talk to you next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.